This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Head of Goalkeeping at Kilmarnock Football Club, Fraser Stewart. He discusses his practice design and how he supports goalkeepers with their individual development, changing practices in relation to upcoming opponents and how you can strategise for this, as well as the culture of goalkeeping and how he wants this to progress moving forward. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Perfect. So, Fraser, appreciate you jumping on. I know you will have a busy schedule with um, lots of different bits going on, but how are things in your world? All good? Yeah, all good. We're off the back of a, a lovely victory at the weekend and a clean sheet, so it's works a works a lovely place this week. <laughs> always better for a clean sheet. Always better for a clean sheet. You're a man after my own heart. Um, <laughs> for people that maybe don't uh, don't know you, don't know your role, do you just want to give us, I guess, a brief overview of, of what your current role is and what that entails, etc.? Yeah, sure. So my name is Fraser Stewart and I'm... Uh, just joined Kilmarnock Football Club this year as their first team goalkeeping coach or sometimes up here in Scotland we're titled uh, the head of goalkeeping we look after the whole club structure um, so I just joined the club in June last year where I'd previously spent the last kind of six, seven years with the Scottish FA in a kind of similar similar role looking after the, the national teams and the coach education programme within within Scotland. Perfect. So I guess the starting point is why did you take the role? So obviously, you know, yeah. we can hear you're a, a, a Scottish man. You were been for the national team. What um, what made you? What drew you to the role in the first place? Um, do you know it's it's always been something I've I've um, not tasted the the pressures or the environment, albeit at a slightly you know small chance of it when I was a player in terms of first team senior football. It was very short lived, but enjoyed it, enjoyed the environment of it, enjoyed the pressures of it. And as a coach, I think I always wanted to get back to that. Um, albeit I loved and was very proud of the, the role I had within the, the National Association and I loved that job every single day. But there was just always something missing of it. I felt I'd done so much in that job and just the opportunity came at a time where it was just right, it was a right fit um, to work under a a very good and very experienced manager, Derek McInnes, I felt was was a great opportunity to to not turn down. And and I'm actually a, a Comarnock fan since I was a young a young kid, get brought up in a Comarnock family. So just a lot of nice things came together at the right time. And the club itself was in such a an optimistic place. They'd just been promoted out of the championship here in Scotland. There was so much positivity around it, and just so many nice things fitted at the at the right time. Perfect. And I think it's probably an interesting time um, when someone starts a new role of getting to grips of what, I guess, the role entails, but also what the environment is. And so for you coming in, having obviously worked on like a national scene and the coach head stuff, as you mentioned, going in where it's probably a little bit more hands on from the day to day and actually being around it. How did you embed yourself within, I guess, the environment and figuring out what was done previously, what worked really well, and maybe how you wanted to put your spin on a few things. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. And I think that was, you know, it was probably my biggest frustration with the National Association was, you know, your time on the pitch was very limited. Um, and you're only together when squads were together. Um, but certainly, you know, coming into the role, there was a lot of background done work in my own part. And for having the conversations with the the manager about the the two senior goalkeepers that were here here at the club and where he's seen them, where he felt they could be, where he felt it was going, different things that might be happening in the summer. And then really from there, I spoke to a number of coaches who had worked with the two goalkeepers previously. So I got an idea of what the goalkeepers were like before I met them. Um, so I had a bit of background to that. I had spoke to the, the previous goalkeeping coach who was at the club. He'd moved on and I spoke to him a little bit about different things. So... And lucky enough, I had a, a bit of a relationship with the assistant manager through coach education. I'd spoke to him a little bit. So there was at least a decent bit of um, background done work to just know what was, what was you know, in the plans to try and happen, what had been done previously. And and I'd also just through my own personal kind of pleasure or enjoyment had been to a few Comalant games the last year. So I knew roughly a little bit of 
what had been going on, where they were trying to go. So that gave me at least at least a starting point. And then I think once you go into a club, I had met with the, the general manager a couple of times just to get a feel about things and, you know, asked a lot of questions. I think that's important. You know, just asked a lot of questions about what their expectations were of myself and how did they see the role and what could be developed within the role. Um, I'm somebody who goes wholeheartedly into things. So, you know, I wanted to understand the whole club, not just the first team environment. I wanted to understand the, the structures that were there in and below it, what was being done, had meetings with the the head of academy, you know, very early on to just get a grasp of the whole club. Um, and it was, to be fair, I think I literally had a come off international duty, which finished on a Friday. And I think by the Monday I had I had started with, with Comalit. So I literally had two days to just, to just get my head around what I wanted to just get out of the, the first couple of weeks, you know, and we're all going into pre-season, so I had a lot of time to bed in what we're trying to do, you know, so it was with a couple of, uh, I think with a week down in Lars, we then had a, a week spent away in Spain, so I had a bit of time to just adjust into how, you know, just managing the goalkeeping group, what they were like, what their personalities were like, how I could start to just put my stamp on a little things, and, and just more so the start of it was just getting to know everybody and get a feel for everybody and the type of goalkeepers that I had. And obviously, goalkeepers, we know, are inherently smallest group, which means the personal side probably comes across more so than an outfielder's perspective. Yeah. How do you go around, I guess, understanding them as, as people and then understanding them, um, I guess, from technical, tactical perspective, particularly in those first couple of weeks where you're trying to get to grips with them? What, what type of strategies did you use in that space? I think initially the, the first bit I done was I watched um, all of uh, the starting goalkeepers. So I watched a lot of Zach Heyman uh, coming into the club. Um, so all his kind of video work from last year had looked at it, looked at different things about him. He had a very very positive season, which was great. So had looked a lot into just his background. Had spoke to a couple of people who were ex goalkeeping coaches at Middlesbrough. Spoke to the goalkeeping coach at Middlesbrough. So just get a full picture on on Zach as best I could, both on goalkeeping points and just as a, a player and a person in general. And then Sam I had actually met on a, a goalkeeping course. So I knew him a little bit, not great detail, but knew him a little bit from from a coaching background uh, when he'd been in one of our goalkeeping courses. But as I say, no real depth. It's really just every day. Yep, you'll, you'll spend time with him on a training pitch, but even just five minutes, whether it was walking past in the corridor, chatting with them, even just at the start, just sitting down and having having a coffee and just talking all things goalkeeping to just see how they see it. Not just come out, but how they see goalkeeping in general was was good to understand where their um, preferences lie and the type of training they do and the different things, the different dynamics of certain things. So it was good to understand that. I had that with Sam at the start. Um, Zach kind of didn't come in until maybe after the first week of pre-season, so I was playing a little bit of catch-up with him, but it was the same process of just chatting, you know, whether it be on the training pitch or whether it be away from the training pitch, just sitting, talking through a couple of things and, and each day building that picture of them as you as you go along. And then at the start, from a, I guess, a tech-tap point of view, yeah. did you uh, adapt your sessions to get, I guess, a well-rounded idea of them? Or was it like, actually, here's a block of work I want to get in regardless, so we're gonna we're just going to do this block? Or was it like, I'm going to do distribution one day, yeah. going to do crosses the next, we might do foot saves or whatever. So by the end of this two-week block or whatever, I have a base level of where they're at in the sessions yeah. that I know, like from previous experiences, what standards look like. Yeah. What, did, what did that process look like? Um, I think at the start, initially, my focus was just ensuring... Um, that first week, I had uh, I had Sam working with us. I had um, at that moment time a younger goalkeeper called Curtis Lyle, and then with a really young sixteen year old kid Corey working with us. So I had three. And to be fair, my focus was primarily on ensuring that the the kind of aerobic base was put into them. I think that I've always thought that first week of pre season is is a good bedding point for the season for a lot of things. Um, so albeit there was a different focus daily, but there was still a the the main focus in my mind was just getting that endurance built and that capacity built to start the season. So, you know, I can remember days of the first day we worked, it was a lot of just footwork and handling work to just see them 
Um, and I, I managed to get that eye done. Then the next day was more conditional work, but we'd done it with the ball in terms of passing and moving. And there were just different conditions built into that. And then almost built up through the week where there was a kind of more physical diving day. Um, and then kind of come back down a little bit. And then we spent a week um, at the stadium itself before we went away um, on our pre-season trip to Spain. So the second week was, was a bit more technical work come in the second week. Um, as you say, you started focusing on the diving work. You started looking at um, positionally how they were about the goal, where they, where they took certain positions. Um, and to be fair, the manager um, is a manager who has a lot of connection where we do a lot of small-sided games, we do a lot of game work, we do a lot of functional work. So you see a lot within that about the positions they take up, how high they want to be, how they move into line to defend certain situations. You know, and I'm not somebody who believes in I need to change these goalkeepers, I need to change everything about them. It's about working, I think, at a first-team level. It's about making both of them feel as confident as they can be to be as successful as they can be when they're involved. So looking at them, how can we put them in areas to be positive, to do positive actions in the game? So rather than trying to change them all and get them to be in certain things, I'm a bit more pragmatic and know how do I get the best out of the type of goalkeeper that they are because they're both, um, Zach and Sam, they're both different types. Um, and it's about how I make them feel the best within the within the work within the team. But but certainly there was more so that first point, you know, the physical output was where I was trying to aim it. And then I just tailored certain bits where there was a different wee technical focus within it. But there was certainly a big element was was physical based in those first couple of weeks. And you have to excuse my ignorance around this next question, but when when we're looking at it from a physical perspective, what type of uh, metrics are you assessing them by or using to figure out what load looks like? Because, you know, it's not going to be kilometres run necessarily, which yeah. used to be the one on, on Opta that everyone would try and get a high. What type yeah. of metrics are you looking at to show that either this is where their base is or these are the base numbers we want to try and get up over the preseason period? So there was nothing to know, like, um, previous data, if you want to call it that, to, to work it off. But we, we had access, sat with a sports scientist, we had access to the, the goalkeeping catapult GPS unit. So we brought them in and we started getting the goalkeepers to wear them. And it gave us an idea of different loading they were going through um, within the sessions. And you know something, ultimately just even, I looked at, for example, Sam's quite an experienced goalkeeper. He's been around for a number of years. So actually just using the goalkeeper to, to work off was important. You know, how, how have you found that? How do you find this? Because it was, again, as a coach, brand new to myself, it's the first time as a coach I've led that that pre-season programme for the goalkeeper. So actually using the goalkeeper himself to come back to me, you know, they, they put in a scoring system every day to the sports scientist, so that comes back to you, you gauge off that. Um, and literally I had a, a programme in my mind, but tailored it, you know, if they were feeling slightly tired, I didn't want to break them, it wasn't about that. I've maybe tailored sessions slightly then to come off it a wee bit, come back on it when when they felt a little bit fresher. But I did actually use Sam a lot to and Zach as well. When Zach came in after that first week to to how they felt compared to previous years. Do you feel ready? Do you feel right? Um, and ultimately if that, that was coming back positive enough, then then that was a good sign for me. Um to, to use that initially. And then as I said, we had the the goalkeeping units that we use, but we tried to not go day to day. I tried to use it as a block, which gave me an idea of, right, if I want that to be a working day, what do those numbers look like in a working day? Can I replicate that? Um, so I used it maybe over a two, three week period to gather all that data and then sit with the sports scientists and look at the days that we tried to give them a hit. Did those days tend to match and the days we tried to come off it, did that match as well? Um, then once we were in the season, and you're in a working season, generally we try to look at the flow of Mondays look the same in terms of an output, so did a Tuesday, a Wednesday, etc., etc. So that's generally how we've, we've used it moving forward. And when you're looking at your session design around that, how do you adapt it? So if you could give us like a generic session that you may use, but that yeah. you could adapt whether you want it as a heavy workload day or mid-workload day or low, how would you adapt that particular session to allow you to achieve those outputs? It can just simply be um, sometimes, you know, I remember the, the pre-season one, sometimes I just work to a time. So rather than sets and reps, 
They might just do something continuous for a set time. They might work for a minute. You know, so you might do rotational, taking rotational volleys, but you're working for a minute constantly. So the loading goes through the legs and there's a constant movement. Um, so that that can come for that. Or if you want more, you increase the number of sets within the, sorry, increase the number of reps within the set. You just put that loading within them. Or if, again, if you want to come off it to make it purely technical, then you, you might strip all that away. You know, and it really is that balance of if you want it to be a physical output thing, then make it that and don't try and be too technical with it. You know, if it's just about getting the... But I'm still a big believer in that, albeit my focus might be physically, but I still want some elements of technical come out of that. But I've also got to give up when they when they get um, tired, technical output is going to drop. And you've got to understand that as a coach, I can't be moaning at them or wanting more from them technically when I know when people get tired that technical level will drop as long as it doesn't drop below a certain point but you've got to be ready to accept that but certainly through more so pre-season sorry I worked on time um, so it was timed to what I wanted from it um, and then as we went into the season it became more about a uh, number of reps within a set how many sets you know, do you do something twice or three times before you flip it on the opposite side, or is it just one time? And um, so that's where I tended to to use my mobility of using that and how you flip that about. And I, I remember uh, when I when I was a scholar and the amount of uh, hate there used to be from the goalkeepers for this next question. But did they join in the running sessions? Because generally, whenever they did, if they were at the back, they used to be getting pelters and they'd be like, lads, this isn't even funny yeah. anymore. So did they join in that or did you do it separate? No, they do. Um, so funny enough, the first day, they they done runs in the afternoon, actually. And I remember it just because of the, the youngest goalie's running style. It just always sticks in my, my mind, actually watching him trying to run. He was like a big gazelle, but they done it on the first day. And then to be fair, I then tailored running, you know, certain distances that the goalkeeper will generally average run. We done a little bit of um, aerobic running work. Uh, I think it was on the second day, and I just tailored certain distances. They were playing passes, and then had to go on a run. But it was all tailored to the type of distance you know that they would they would run within a within a game. And then to be fair with the sports scientists, if we do, they they all completed the an abbreviation of the the yo yo test um, on the first day when they reported back. So they've always and any time that's been put in. I've actually put them in it. Um, you know, the sports scientist has always asked the question, do you want them in that or do I want to do some sort of physical? But I actually like them being in it because um, I do, I think you're, if you feel fitter, if you've got a good, and I always use it, if you've got a good aerobic base, I think you are a bit more fitter in the mind. You're a bit more cleverer upstairs. And I do think the position has changed a bit that you've got to show, I think, a good level of athleticism. And I think that gives you the base to do everything. If you've got that aerobic base, um, so certainly the the kind of abbreviated yo-yo test that we do, the goalkeepers have always done it. Um, but if there's if there's running stuff during the the sessions during the week, they don't tend to do that. We do our own certain types of sprint work, um, or it just becomes a more physical goalkeeping up and down type session where we where we do that because there's there's a lot of different things and uncontrollables. For example, if they go into if a team have done strides or running, you know, when a goalkeeper goes in and does shooting, the loading coming out of a shooting session will be just as high as doing a sprinting session. So sometimes I'm a bit, you know, if there's going to be shooting done at the end of a session, then actually the goalies don't need to do running. Because uh, one that's actually come up this year has been about after games, what should the goalkeeper do after the game? Should he do running, for example? But actually when I look at it, the, the sub-goalkeeper in the, when I looked at the data, what he actually covered in a warm-up was not too far away from what a goalkeeper covers who played in the game. So actually that even 10 minutes or 5-10 minutes of the shooting done before the, the kickoff has actually got a lot of loading in it. So I don't need to because he's actually done a lot. you know. And sometimes that running can feel like punishment because he's, he's had a hard 10 minutes in terms of short-stopping and up and down and diving if he's doing it properly, that is. So actually, you don't need to try and top it up because there's actually been there's not too much of a difference in terms of sometimes they've actually worked harder in the in the starting goalie, which is incredible. Um, so in short version, yeah, they have done the running. I quite like them to do running at certain times. 
Um, and we've also added running into our own, our own working way as well. And then how have you had to adapt your session design in accordance to the way that the team play? You mentioned, um, I guess, around, you know, modern day football's probably changed the role of a goalkeeper in particular. Um, you know, if you've got a team that drops in quite deep, that's going to be very different types of movements uh, yeah. compared to a team that, you know, steps up really high and you're having to almost play that sweeper-keeper role. So yeah. in terms of your session design and what you're doing with your goalies, how have you had to adapt this year um, the types of sessions you're putting on to allow you to replicate when they go into the small-sided games in training or when they go into the larger games so they're experiencing those types of movement patterns or techniques that they use it? I think the biggest thing... Um... You know, in Scotland, I feel a lot of the teams, a lot of the things within games um, for ourselves because of whether it be the way we defend or the way teams set up and attack against us, a lot of what our goalkeepers went through for the, the large majority is quite similar. You know, dealing with a lot of crosses coming in the box, positions they take up off of that, uh, where goals come from, there's been a fair and even enough spread between if it's cut back, early crosses, hang-up crosses off a second phase. Um, shots from around the kind of edge of the box, different things like that. But the one team that we've always changed in how we've made certain movements has been Celtic. Um, and it's it's just dealing with they've they're very good at getting into certain cutback areas and they score a lot of goals for the middle of the goal. So it's the one, certainly the one game where as a goalkeeping group we had a big discussion on just tinkering with our positional play a little bit on cutbacks and you know this thing of when I watched a lot of the goals that Celtic were scoring, you know, the goalkeepers were staying in the goal and just it was almost just waiting to get beat from that cutback position. So we then tried to be a little bit more aggressive in the cutback position and just try and confront the cutback more. So my better trying to cut out the cutback rather than just waiting to be in the middle of the goal to get beat. So I don't know if you're in um, the Euros, uh, when England hosted the... Sorry, when you, the Euros were all over um, Europe... And I remember watching Donnarumma in Italy defend cutbacks and they were so good at it between Donnarumma and Cialini about how they had a connection of Donnarumma was very advanced, very committed to the cutback and he would go certain distances. It was a little bit like that, you know, depending on how the cutback came about. Do you drop into the goal or do you only drop to maybe a six-yard line and as he plays that early cutback, you just go and affect the ball rather than stay and defend the goal as such. And that, that's just one because it's fresh in my mind. We played, although they ended up scoring from a, a hung-up cross, but you can never predict how teams are going to be. But certainly Celtic's always been a team of we've just adjusted our positional play on cutbacks a lot and been very different and always readjusted that as we've come back and to play the other teams. Um, what does that, sorry, yeah, what, you, what does that look like in terms of, uh, the I guess, the conversation then with the wider coaching staff? Because obviously that type of, you know, stepping out and being, being maybe being more aggressive would directly affect uh, maybe the aggression the fullback's going to try and step out and press on or your centre-half's roles. They might have gone from a clearing yeah. role to actually yeah. what we're going to try and do is protect our goalkeeper and shield yeah. strikers or something like that. So yeah. how does that, um, yeah, how does that dynamic work with the outfield coaches where you're saying, actually, you know, we've all seen this, this is yeah. the way we think as a goalkeeping department we could counteract it. What yeah. do you think, etc.? Yeah, so and then ultimately it was you you would show the video, you would show your thinking to the manager, look, I've seen a bit of this, I've looked at but again, probably the stage before that it was sitting with the goalkeepers. You know, it was just an idea. What do you think? And then to be fair, the goalkeeper himself going, Oh, do you know what? I see the merit in that because if they don't, then it's a non-discussion. You know, because you never want to go... I don't think you, know, you want a goalkeeper going on the pitch feeling uncomfortable with the position he's asked to go in or in that. So the initial discussion was there. That came back quite positive. No, I can understand that. I see the point within it. So there was a bit of work done within that first. And then it was talking to the coaching staff to say, look, we've had a little bit of a look at this. Again, yeah, we understand that. So then it was about the relationships of goalkeeper and centre-backs, the positions you take up. And ultimately it then became a bit of trust. Um, between goalkeeper, centre-back on where you defend that situation and the, the areas you defend it within and where you revert to um, to, try and, to try and defend it, if that makes sense. Um, and then on the pitch, 
It was about doing it technically in the goal, about getting that position to happen, whether it be putting the cut back out, or if that's not been able to happen, when you turn into the goal, even just simple things about where do you go in the goal, rather than just turning to make a save, am I better just holding and defending the front half of the goal? Because stats were shown at that time, for example, Kyogo's finishes always tended to go into the front half. So am I better just staying in the front half rather than trying to defend a big full goal? You've not, you're never going to defend that. So you've got to try and bank on the percentage or the percentages of the finishes coming back in this half. So stay there, um, if that makes sense. And a lot of it's video work, a lot of it's taking the stats and then ultimately just coming to the decision at the end of the day, what, what, how is the best way to approach it? Um, and then ultimately then gets pieced together. The manager has the final bit with, he did a lot of functional work in the lead up to those things and how we defend those moments. And again, it was relayed that, you know, between goalkeeper and centre-back, can we stop the movement getting into there, the ball getting into that area? Because you almost can't always stop it, if that makes sense. Yeah, you would love to stop every movement they make, but ultimately at some point they will get in, um, if that makes sense. So how do you defend it when they get there? And then you mentioned a little bit in terms of actually delivering that on pitch. Obviously, I appreciate everyone now seems like we've got a game every three days and the max you're going to get really is a week. How do you actually sculpt a time out during your week to practice that? Because obviously, as you mentioned earlier, during a lot of the uh, other teams you're playing against, there's relatively one structure and then this one's slightly different. Yeah. Although there will be bits you're picking up throughout the year. So how do you actually dedicate a little bit of time to work on that in a functional setting, if you like? Really, you know, up here in Scotland, we're a little bit different. You know, there's not two... Yeah, you get periods of busy fixture schedules. If you're not involved in Europe or you're not involved as the, the big tournaments of Celtic, a lot of it can be you get that full lead-in of a week. Um, so really, it was just built up over... For example, our schedule here at Kilmarnock will be a Monday... Um, the starting goalkeeper will always come out and do the goalkeeping side of things, but then drops off. And then the, the top-up is done with the other group of goalkeepers. So even from that, though, you can start to inlay that in. You know, just even coming in line, facing up, taking a nice cut back and just moving in those general terms. And then through the week, you just try and build up how much more specific to the game it becomes in terms of the movement into that position the type of cutback, whether it's just nice across them, is it going to go with pace across them? Do you work on some that's just cutting the ball out? Do you work on some that's about catching it? Do you work on some where you just get something on the ball to stop it going beyond you? And then you sometimes, and then you take it the stage further of, right, the cutback's now happened, we've not affected it or you've not went for it. You turn into the goal and you make those reaction saves because that's what it's going to be. And you almost change those saves about a little bit. Some might be foot saves, as you've mentioned. Some might be going big and following the ball across the goal. Some might be allowing the feet to come in and push. Um, you know, if the cutback's going left, allowing your body to keep going left, or they just turn. And so we worked in a number of those different saves, and you just, almost each day, you do a different bit of it, if that makes sense. So the first day might be about coming in and dealing with the cutback and dealing with that and moving across the goal and those patterns. Then it might be, right, here's one type of save, next type of save, next type of save. Um, and actually just the repetition of doing it over and over generally just embeds that in. And as you say, the functional side is just then about replicating and decision-making on the ones that are there to go and be dealt with. Can you do that? If it's not there to be dealt with, then you quickly turn and defend the, you defend the goal in the ways that hopefully we've, we've dealt with. And for you as a practitioner, how do you balance, um, I guess, the the technique, skill, the, the body composition, et cetera, of your goalkeepers that are going to be different when you're working through all those things? So obviously, like, uh, you know, one person might be really good diving off to their left-hand side. For someone else, that might be a struggle. For some people, yeah. they might be really good with a foot save, whereas for someone else, they might struggle with that. You're obviously putting on a session, working on all these things you've just mentioned. But how do yeah. you manage the, I guess, the detail for each of the goalkeepers within that session? It's just that individuality bit. You know, I don't think there is. I'm not somebody that believes in a one-size-fits-all, as I mentioned previously. And I think it's about, for example, the two goalkeepers we've got. Um, one's, one's taller, bigger frame. So maybe relies a little bit more on reach 
has a wider set position, right? Okay, there's no point in me mechanically trying to change all that because it just takes up too much time and you start messing with the goalkeeper's confidence at different things. One of the other goalkeepers a bit more explosive, a bit more dynamic, a bit more wants to go all the time. So then you're maybe trying to, it's about maybe trying to get one to be calmer while you're trying to push one to be a bit more explosive at the same time. Um, but ultimately at some points it's one save might work for one of them while another save, and it's, I think about playing about with a little bit. So for example, in the last time when we went to play Celtic, a lot of the discussion was actually about um, Sam was in the lead up to playing the game and we spoke about Ran dropping into the goal to be trying to play big in the ball. Why don't we try and go, if the ball gets played across in that area, go and confront the ball and play into the save and be bigger because he's got that big frame. Sometimes if you look at it in a striker and you just see that big body at you rather than you see more of the goal if they stay back a bit. So we spoke a lot about that. I mean, that was a change though. And again, sometimes these things just, I think that's the beauty of it. It just comes out within, when it happens within the session and just having a discussion there and then because it's fresh in everybody's mind and everybody having an input into that and a discussion point into that. I don't think there's a, for me, there's not a right answer or a wrong answer. It's what, what the goalkeeper feels most comfortable with that you can take that on and you can actually produce it in the match, then that's that's what you go with. And how do you disseminate process from outcome? Because obviously sometimes there may be a case of you're looking at this technique and going, I don't know whether long-term this is actually going to work, but at the moment it is. Or are you very comfortable like, listen, if it works, just kind of crack on with it. How do you disseminate those two things? I think, I think ultimately when we looked at that certainly Celtic games, ultimately when Celtic were getting into those positions, it was a like the stats on them, the percentage of them scoring from that was so high. And we're going, well, you're actually, you're waiting to get beat, so why don't we try? You know, I used to watch the, the analysis of the goals that were playing, uh, sorry, the games we were playing and the goals that was, they were scoring, I'm going, right, you know, and I'm seeing a trend of things, I'm going, well, yeah, I'll just wait for that to happen or you try and do something about it. And as we said, we, you know, you're sometimes not expected to get something out of these, these Celtic games and, but you know what? Why don't try something and can it pull off the saves? And actually, when we looked at, you know, saves that Sam made in the games, there was a bit of what we'd worked on. There was one area where, you know, happy enough and honest enough to admit it, we lost a poor goal for one where it went slightly deeper, Ram being a bit more advanced and never moved forward into taking the cut back and um no, I think it was Jota, sorry, not Kyogo, nipped in in front of him and a defender. So they actually beat us from that. Whereas actually, if, if we'd done maybe what we said we were going to do, so ultimately you can have the process anyway, you can have that there, but it'll still come down to a position on the pitch and a decision. And ultimately on the first time at Parkhead, we were a little bit deep in the position and a little bit slow in the decision to go forward and it cost us. Um, and then we readdressed that, we played them in a semi-final changed it, we went a little bit more aggressive again and it became a little bit more positive where we defended effectively from the, the post to the six-yard line and went really aggressive on it rather than staying inside the goal a little bit. So almost each time we changed it again. Um, and then ultimately, by showing the goalkeeper the goals that Celtic were scoring, allowing the goalkeeper to think, well, if I maybe was a bit more proactive there or there, I could maybe stop that. And ultimately, the goalkeepers themselves are like, well, we would rather get beat trying to make a save than just standing in the goal and the thing flashing past us, you know? Yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, I guess one of the things that's really intrigued me from the goalkeeper side is that dynamic of having, I guess, a, a first choice and then a second choice and how you manage that dynamic as, as a coach, but also how they manage it within the group and, I guess, them understanding and defining their roles. Do you have that case with Kilmarnock and yeah what does that environment look like on a day-to-day basis it's been a it's been an interesting season um, Zach Heyman who's a, a young goalie um, who's been on loan the past two seasons from Middlesbrough um, Zach played the majority of the games last year when they won the league um, and was very very good very successful with a very good season I think he won Maybe some of the player was, I'm not 100% sure, but he had a very, very good season, very positive season. And Sam's an older, experienced um, goalkeeper who was signed full-time by the club. So two different types, two different dynamics. And then actually this season, 
it's just worked out that Sam's played more games um, and we've been up in the Premier League and he's he's been very consistent across those games. He's done well across those games. Zach had a, a bit of a tough start when he when he came back into the team um, and come back out of the team. And uh, he's kind of had a stop, Zach's kind of had a stop start season. And probably it's interesting that the real learning that we've spoke with Zach has been that he's now, he's understood a little bit what it takes actually to be a number two. So although a lot of people might look at that and think it's been a bad, you know, year for Zach in terms of playing time, but actually when you look at it, he's learned maybe some valuable things about how you, how you need to be as a number two and how you react to certain situations that you can be put into. Um, and things like, for example, you know, the quality of your number two's training will determine, I think, the, the quality of performance from your number one. You know, if that number two is at it and he's pushing and he's pushing and he's pushing, the number one knows, you know, nobody, football training, for example, or goalkeeping work is so obvious at times when you know someone is doing well and you can see it so evidently, then you need to be better than that. And it's so clear to see when there's that clear challenge is there, then it's good and I think it's healthy. Um, we've had the situation this year where we actually we Zach had a, a groin injury coming at the start of the season. We weren't sure how long that would be. So we signed another goalkeeper. We signed Gary Woods, an experienced goalkeeper who'd been up here in Scotland down south. He's now at um, Exeter City. So Gary came in. Gary done very well. He was great for the group. Trained really well every single day. So And Gary almost found himself as a kind of number three. So at Kilmarnock, it was probably a bit unusual. We had three kind of goalkeepers who could all potentially play um, in the first team. And how I managed, I actually just found being honest. You know, see if you're, see if you're up front and honest with things. I don't, yeah, people might get annoyed. They might get frustrated. But ultimately, that dies away and they see that there's an honesty to your work, there's an honesty to what you're telling them. Um, and I think when that's there and there's a trust there, then everything's all right. I think sometimes you can run into problems when you don't, not that you're not honest, but you don't fully just explain, here's the full situation and that's it. And it just allows maybe somebody to just deal with the situation, deal with it in their mind, and then they can't come back to you to, with ifs and buts and whatever else. It's just that is the situation. Um, and ultimately... You know, your job as a goalie coach, you don't pick the team, but you you just make sure that working environment's as positive as it can be, as good as it can be. And I've always found honesty is the best way for that. Um and, and certainly that's I've found that good this year that the working environment's always been good. There's been there's been days, there's been challenging days where goalkeepers changed, one's been starting, one's not been starting, different dynamics about the group and and you know what? The one thing I've always felt within the goalkeeping group we've had this year is a real determination, a real work ethic, a real honesty to their work, which has been fantastic for me and, and marking a first season and actually having to deal with all those different dynamics. Um, ultimately, I would say, Komalik, at this moment in time, we've got two good number ones. I feel that. I feel that they're both good enough goalkeepers, they're both good goalkeepers, they both push that every day and both are different in their own right, but both both, I think, are well capable of, of playing for Kilmarnock in this league. Um, so maybe a little bit different to what a, a, a team like Kilmarnock's potentially had before, where you've maybe deemed to have a starting one and a young one. Um, you know, And certainly when you look at the stats in the league in Scotland, a lot of them are quite like that. They've got a starting goalie and a, a clear starting one and a number two. Maybe only the likes of the old firm have got maybe slightly different to that, or Hearts at this moment in time have got certainly... Um, you know, you can see with Craig Gordon, albeit his injury and Xander's there, but certainly, you know, it's maybe not something that's usual for a commander side, but it's healthy nonetheless, and we've certainly benefited from that this year. And how do you get them to manage the pressure of that? Because if I think back to, like, United, who had the Hayer and Henderson for a period, and it seemed like because they had two goalkeepers that were capable, it almost put more pressure on the other one not to make a mistake, which then made him make a mistake. So how do you manage that, I guess, the pressure on top of that? I think I think you've got to flip it and go, it's a good pressure. You know, that's a good thing. If, if you're the starting one, you know, I think you've got to show that. You, the, the, the challenge that you've got to meet every day is being your best. You know, and I think that's where it's so important that that number two provides that challenge. And, you know, and I would I would probably change the wording of, of uh, pressure. I think that's a good thing to fuel yourself off. You know, I think, because I think what can creep into the game is if that's not there, then I think small wee mistakes can creep in simply. Not, and that's nothing to do with the goalkeeper. I think that's just human nature that sometimes you can switch off when you're not having to be potentially 
at your best every single day to play, then those wee small inconsistencies can drip into your game. And whereas I think if that constant day to day, if you want to call it pressure, is there, then that that's healthy and it's good. And I've always felt that as, as a number two goalkeeper, that is so important that you provide that. And then maybe the hard thing becomes for the number two to keep reproducing that all the time. If opportunities don't come their way, then that is the hard bit, how you fuel that person in terms of um, them giving their all all the time and they don't have that that um, end point of the week, whether it be a game or that little thing to just keep them coming back. So it's so important that, that, they, that their input is recognised um, in terms of, you know, for example, I've had that discussion with Zach this year of what he has given on a day-to-day basis when Sam's been playing has been so important to to Sam being at it with the team. And likewise, you know, I'm pretty sure last season, I can't speak for that, I wasn't here, but but Zach always spoke highly of how Sam was last year when, when Zach was always playing. So I feel very lucky. I've got two very good goalkeepers who who understand it and, and really are. They're, they're a very tight group. You know, the two of them are good. They push each other. They're good with each other. They're very different in terms of where they're at in their careers. But, but ultimately, they've been... Um, They've been terrific to deal with and handled every every type of situation that's came their way. They've, they've handled it with, with flying colours for me. And one of the things you mentioned, I can't remember if it was on air or earlier on in the conversation, uh, off air or earlier on in the conversation, but you mentioned around kind of being in charge of that uh, younger pathway as well and kind of looking into the academy side. So I guess from you, from a structural point of view and looking at trying to produce, I guess, the next Kilmarnock first-team goalkeeper, and you never know, maybe a Scottish first-team goalkeeper. What type of work have you done in that space to, I guess, modernise what the goalkeeper department looks like? Because I'm, for one, I think the goalkeeper has changed dramatically. Like, I look at someone like Hugo Lloris at Spurs. He's probably gone from being one of the top goalkeepers in the world to actually he hasn't changed, but the expectations of a goalkeeper has, which is now putting down the pecking order a little bit, in my opinion, at least. Um, so how have you gone around, I guess, creating a structure, creating a curriculum, creating an environment that allows goalkeepers to get the skill set they need to progress all the way through the ranks? It's funny. I, um, I come from two ways. When, when I was in my previous role and you used to help the clubs and you would go and meet with all the clubs and you would try and push things along for them or help them do different things and try and make their programme best as best it could be. And you had an idea of what, what you would do if you're into a club, and I've almost, I've almost flipped myself completely since coming to this job, and actually been about, you know, you can have the, you can have the best curriculum in the world, you know, but if you don't bring it to life on a pitch, it's worthless, you know, you, you can have the best structure in the world, but if you don't actually follow it through when it comes to key decision moments, so for example. Um, sticking with a young goalie when, they feel, when they're going through a tough moment, if you don't actually back those things up and do it, it, it's a complete waste of time. And I've found that when I've been in this job recently, and I've found myself actually, do you know what? The the better I am on the pitch with these young goalies, um, the more access I can get to them, and the more time I spend with them, then the better they're naturally becoming. The more repetition of doing the right thing over and over again, has been has been so important and yep wrapped around and behind all that there's a structure there's a way of working but ultimately I still go back to the basic thing of if if it's no right on the pitch and the quality is not delivered to them on the pitch you're you're wasting your time um and it's the hardest thing I've found is being how how can you relinquish bits of that to 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 find the right type of coaches to come into your club um Kilmarnock could be in a club where they're you know, there wasn't a, a great, there was a bit of structure, but not a massive amount of structure. So I actually had a, a kind of blank canvas in how I wanted to shape it. We've done a bit of that. We've, we've structured anything. This summer, we'll, we'll structure it a little bit more again. But in terms of staffing-wise, there's myself and there's a there's a couple of part-time goalie coaches. That's just where the club is at at the moment. Would I love to go and find another full-time goalie coach to come in and work? I absolutely would, but the situation is what it is. And, and actually, that's what I found. I've enjoyed it because, do you know what? It's an unpressured coaching. You can just go and love being a coach again because these young kids are so desperate. They're full of desire, full of energy, and they'll just get on with it. And sometimes it's good to have that balance because you've got the pressured first team coaching every day and you just get to go and enjoy it. I bring every I see every academy goalkeeper from or under eighteens 
down to we're under eights and nines on a Tuesday night. I'm there tonight and I love it. They're so enthusiastic. They love coming. And probably the biggest thing we've done is that change of, they never used to have that one night and I've changed that. They all come in. Every goalie knows every goalie at the club. They all know myself. We've got a great relationship with them all. They work so well on a Tuesday night and I've just stripped it back to basic things, enjoyment and fun and love of the position and actually trying to fuel, fuel them as young goalkeepers. You know, if they... If they don't share my, you know, dreams for them or aspirations for them, pointless. You know, they'll never reach it. So a lot of it's been trying to fuel them and get them to take leadership of themselves. And and if they want to become the best, then it's on them. Um, we've had a couple of parents' nights where I've had all the parents in, and they've went really well about just showing about what what I think it is to become successful. It's not about being, for me anyway, the best goalkeeper at fourteen. That's not what we're looking for. Is about who who keeps showing the potential to become that goalkeeper in the future. And I think that's a big thing, you know, people need to understand is there's um I think you only ever it's about potential and we're dealing with potential, but I think you only ever maximize the potential or you support the potential within the academy. So when I'm maximizing it, I'm pushing them as much as I can. But there's also times I just need to be there for them and look after them because they're going through a tough time. But ultimately the biggest question, if I always look at the young goalie and think, there's a chance they can develop into something, then I fight every day to make sure they're part of this club. And that's my job. And that's where I think you can have wonderful curriculums, you can have fantastic structures, but ultimately it's still going to come down to myself on the pitch with the young goalies and actually preparing them for what comes at each stage. And I think the the next stage for me is probably just... um, I'm quite process-minded, I'm quite development-minded, so I think I would like to have a stage where there's a more connection with outfield coaches so that they know that at the age of, um, let's just say in the children's sections where you've got 8s, 9s, 10s, 11s, 12s, what does good look like and what is good at that age so that they know that, so that the coach isn't asking for things that are above the goalkeeper. Or if we have a really talented goalkeeper at that age, then what could we push them on? And likewise, when they move into the nine-a-side and eleven-a-side game, what's going to change for them? They're going to go through a dip. They're going to go through a, a really horrible time. Let them come through that. And then again, what does good look like at that age? How do we know we've got a good one? And how do we keep them going along the, the right routes? Um, I'm certainly, one thing I've changed in the club is that goalkeepers just, I'm not a fan of them playing down an age group. It's something that's always been an annoyance of mine that the only thing we do is we promote them up an age group if they're doing really well and do that. Um, and actually when they get, things have changed when they get to the senior part of the academy, I actually get them out in loans and playing senior football quicker. I've found that better with a young goalie who had a tough time out in loan, non-league. He's come back in. We've done a lot of work with him. He's went back out non-league and I've watched him recently and he's just a far better goalkeeper. He's far more confident within himself. And that's been nothing other than that young kid working hard every day and building confidence within himself. So, you know, whether it's great to have structures, it's, for me, it still comes back to coaching at the end of the day. It still comes back to me with a bag of balls and my goalie. And can I get him to buy into himself, to making himself better, to have that drive, to have that ambition every day, to keep going. And ultimately, where they want to go to, they'll get there. Um, and it's just my job to help support that or to push that in any way I can. Um, but as I say, we're, we've been good dialogue with the, the outfield staff, the outfield coaches, the parents, and trying to just bring a better um, connection to everything. The, the head of academy, Paul DeJacken, was brilliant. He, he lets you go on with it. He lets you go and put things in place, and he's always there to chat to. Um, and he's been very supportive of all, the, of all the work we've done so far. We've got a lot to do. But I think just small things we've brought in of having all the goalkeepers together in one night. Uh, the next stage is probably I want to bring a little bit more structure to how they work out with that night and when they're with a goalie coach in their teams. I think we can be a bit more specific there. Um, and then ultimately trying to transition them into full-time positions, I think there's a little bit more work we can do there about potentially get some better work done on day release and things like that. Um, but I still, I still go back to it. I had loads of ideas when I came out my last job, but I went so back to basics of, do you know what? If I'm really good for them every night on the pitch and with them and they bring their best every single time they're with me, then they'll get better. 
And then naturally that will make them better. I like the idea of that one night thing, as you said, of mention of of having that. Um, just you know, role modeling, support, and all of that type of stuff. It's such a great way of allowing them to do it. You can imagine the weather up here in Scotland's no pleasant at times, and actually I felt bad the other night. We were out, and uh, it was quite cold. It had been windy, so they were freezing. I'd had them diving, so they were soaked diving. Then the wind came, so they were absolutely freezing, and it was that, and I just kept going out there, make more saves, push yourself, keep diving, and, you know, they were these wee kids were chittering away, but do you know what? I loved it because they still done it, and they threw themselves to dive it, and they, they fuel you because they come with such enthusiasm. You know, and I, and I think in Scotland, we're, we're world-class in Scotland at telling people what they can do. You know what I mean? And I think at some point you've got to calm down and go, he's 12. What can he do? What are the positives? Right, that's the positives, right? And I think, you know, well, this is right or wrong, I think sometimes people are lazy in terms of coaching because they don't want to go and work on what they can't do and make them better, but that's my job as a coach. My job as a coach is to make you better. That's why you're here. You're here because we've seen talent. My job is to get you to that talent at the end of the line, not not by 14. And the most important thing I say to them every night we're with them is, you don't need to be the best goalie tonight. You don't need to be the best goalie tomorrow. But you just need to show you have got the ability to potentially become that one day. And I will work with you until that one day comes, as long as you keep giving what you've got. And and they have been, and they've been great to deal with. I think anyone listening to this will have to hear your enthusiasm. And, you know, the younger kids will definitely that allows you to receive that from them when you're in and around them and their enjoyment of football stuff which is great i'm conscious of time so one last question uh for me which is something i ask everyone if i was to ask for the goalkeepers that you work with or the coaching staff you work around to describe you in three words how would you hope they described you and why um i would hope they would say honest because i try and do that in everything i do in terms of my work on the pitch in terms of if I'm asked direct questions or anything like that, I would hope honest comes out. Um, I would hope trust comes out there at some point, and I will go for enthusiasm for the, for the position. That would be my three. Perfect. Listen, Fraser, really appreciate your time, um, and hopefully, it's when we can catch up again soon. Anytime, no pleasure, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.